Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Ogletree Deacons Workplace Safety Podcast today. My name's Kevin Bland. I'm a shareholder out of our Orange County, California office. Here with me today is the famous Karen Tynan. Thank you, Kev. Uh, rock star, front page picture today <laughs> in the uh, uh, Kellis Reporter. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, she, uh, Karen's a shareholder out of our uh, Sacramento office and um, heads up our workplace safety uh, group on the uh, West Coast. So what are we going to talk about today, Karen? I think we talk about COVID-19 in 2024. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of have this feeling from folks that we're past it, but we still have COVID regulations with Cal OSHA. We still have various upticks. And so we thought it was important to just recheck in on COVID-2024 and say, okay, what are the requirements? What are the regulations? And frankly, this should be effective for the time until 2025. So let's dig in, Kevin. Yeah. So, hey, Karen, you just kind of mentioned it. What's the uh, so the time frames through 2025? Is there anything going on that really has changed since this was put into place? Uh, what was it, a year ago now? Right. So February 2023. The non-emergency COVID standards were adopted after how many emergency standards, Kevin? Was oh, it three man, or I four? Count. Well, I, I want to say three. Oh, three, four? I think. Well, it, do you count extensions? Do you oh. count, yeah, I mean, it, uh, let's just say more more than we've ever seen in our that's career. That's good because you're the the guy that's at the standards board every month. Sometimes <laughs> I'm there, but you're there every month. So. So we had a ton of emergency standards beginning in the summer of 2020, if you can believe that, right? Almost four years ago. Right. And so here we are in 2024. And so we are technically under the Cal OSHA non-emergency COVID-19 regulation. But that regulation, Kevin, interestingly, can be, I'm careful about using the word superseded, but it can be adjusted and have new parts to it or new definitions based on CDPH orders. And you had some heartburn about that when uh, we were talking about that. And what was your heartburn? Just so our listeners can really understand what kind of big deal it is for a regulation to then be kind of superseded with a quote unquote order. Yeah, no. Well, so the issue is, okay, there's an APA regulation. There's a regulation. You have to go through a rulemaking process. And once that regulation is in stone, it's in stone. By by incorporating something that there isn't public comment on, there isn't a rulemaking process, there isn't, that can just change the law. That, to me, is kind of taking away a little bit of due process on the on the thing so and of course this just happened didn't something just happen uh what this week or last week right so january 2024 cdph issued an order and it wasn't just guidance it wasn't a website update 
Um, it's a for reals order. And the way the mechanism works with the Cal OSHA non-emergency regulation is that the order now supersedes or is incorporated into, however you want to call it, into the regulation. And so now we have updates. And I like what you're saying. So these are updates from the California Department of Public Health that changed how we look at outbreaks, how we look at really the infectious period, which can include contact tracing and figuring out your exposure group. And so I, a question that we get a lot from clients, and, and I, I think this is very frequent, especially in upticks, is, well, there was guidance, there's been a table on the CDPH website, you know, is that what we listen to? And and you and I have to be very firm that it's about an order. Yeah, good point, Karen. And, we, and you and I talk about this all the time. And it's a little bit tough for the regulated community. What's the difference in an order <laughs> and guidance? And because CDPH or FAQs. Or FAF, yeah, frequently asked question documents that are created by CDPH and Cal OSHA for that matter. And that's one thing in the uh, permanent, I'm going to call it mm-hmm. the permanent regulation, yeah. which is permanent until 2025. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about something yeah. with that later. But it has to be an order. So you have to look for that magic language. Guidance, the regulation stands. Right. Order changes whatever sections in the regulation that refer to an order that can supersede it. Right. And so that's what we had recently in January was this order. Uh, Karen, why don't uh, we talk a little bit about the contact tracing and close contact concepts in that uh, new order? And and I think that's where the, the kind of rubber meets the road, because that's what employers want to know how to do is to do their contact tracing, figure out their close contacts, who's getting tested, who's wearing masks, what are we doing? So the order in January it confirmed and slightly adjusted some some definitions. So we've got the close contact definition. And for years, Kevin, we had 61524, right? That was our <laughs> mantra. That's what we went by. Well, for indoor spaces of 400,000 or fewer cubic feet, and that's the foot with the three. On yeah, yeah. The- Who in the heck made it? Uh, my <laughs> office is 3,000 square feet. Well, how many cubic feet? Well, I don't know. What's the ceiling height? What's well, 10 foot here? It's 12 <laughs> foot there. You know, length times width times height gives you cubic feet. And that's exactly it. That's the client saying, well, I don't know whether my warehouse is 400,000 cubic yeah. Right. So, so yeah. the indoor, so 400,000 cubic feet or fewer. And a close contact, you don't have to do the six feet. It's just 15 minutes for 24 hours. So that means anybody and everybody in that 400,000 cubic feet or smaller is a close contact if you have COVID in there. Now, if you get that large warehouse, that very large building, you're back to the 6, 15, 24, and that's for 400,000 cubic feet or higher. Some folks may be listening to this for the first time, 6, 15, 24, what does that refer to? If you're within six feet for 15 minutes over 24 hours with a COVID case, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the same COVID case, right. and it's not 15 consecutive minutes. Right. Okay, so it's cumulative. <laughs> Very common question. And so we've, we've got that definition of close contact, but, but here's another sticky part in the January 2024 order 
is infectious period. So previously, we always said the infectious period was two days before symptoms or COVID test. Now we've got a distinction. So we've got the infectious period for symptomatic confirmed cases is from the day of symptom onset until 24 hours have passed with no fever. So you're not looking back. And then for asymptomatic, meaning no symptoms, there's no infectious period for the purpose of isolation or exclusion. So a lot of clients have been saying, well, for asymptomatic people, they seem to get a pass almost, right? Yeah, right. And clearly, I think that we've lost those two tables that we used to use um, for a couple of years, but this is how you're going to apply the infectious period. And then here's the kicker, Kevin, in the order, they introduce a new definition that's not even used <laughs> in the regulation. Isn't that hilarious? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so this new definition is the potential infectious period, which is not a definition used in the regulation. And there's nothing in the regulation that talks about potential. Potential. Right. right? So the potential infectious period is two days before symptoms or two days before the positive test. Well, that sounds familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But they added this word potential. And so unless there's another order that changes something about this definition or somehow incorporates it into the regulation, there's nowhere to incorporate it in your COVID prevention plan. Right. And that's an issue. A little frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's hard for the regulated community to, to, to follow all this. At the end of the day, this is constantly evolving. And, you know, it's interesting if you think about it. It's no different than when we started this thing. The science changed sometimes right. every day. Mask, no mask, six feet. No, Barriers. never. They have bar- yeah, barriers uh, and bury yourself at your house, right? <laughs> Don't touch any, uh, any food. Right, the sanitizing, yeah. right? And then or- it's all, yeah, so this thing has been a moving target and continues to be, and it's proven to be. Uh, you know, speaking of moving targets, didn't something change on outbreaks too in this last Boy, order? Yes, and, and I think this is very important. So if you're driving or, you know, making your ham sandwich, just hold on a second and listen carefully. Yeah. So for outbreaks, it used to be three cases in 14 days. Now, to reach the basic outbreak, it is three cases during a seven-day period. Now, here's the interesting part about that. Intuitively, a lot of clients went, oh, well, three and seven days, that's going to be easier to get into outbreak because we don't have 14 days for our three cases. We only have seven but you and I have been talking about this since the order came out and it flips, it, it cuts both ways. Yeah. The interesting thing about it. So if you think about this, the 14, three and 14, right? Right. So if you had the old reg, you got two in seven days and one on the eighth day, you're an outbreak. Yes. Right? Now under this one, same scenario, you got two in seven days and one, you're not an outbreak, one on the eighth day. So my personal opinion is this is better because it is harder to get into outbreak. But there are other practitioners, other folks, other that say, oh, no, this is worse. There's a mixed opinion out there. Right, Karen? Right. It cuts both ways. But if you really cut it down and you think about it, because the part that gets you, you if you get three in seven days, you're already in the 14 day period anyway. Right. So. 
Now you don't have to worry about the next week if you have two. Uh, right. So you're, I, I think it's better. But and I, I mean, think, better depends on where your perception is. But right, uh, and and you know, it can vary from workplace to workplace what your risks are. Right, if you're in a big uptick and you have you know 50 people in your workplace or 200 people, right? Yeah. I think, and I may have said this in previous podcasts, it is very easy to get into outbreak during a community spread uptick during the holiday season. We've seen it during 4th of July season, right? Big uptick July 2023. It is hard to get out. Once you're in outbreak and you start that weekly testing, you're going to pick up asymptomatic people and you're going to pick up community spread that's not happening in your workplace. That's the frustrating part. Right, right. It's interesting to talk about the asymptomatic because I was just thinking about that. Uh, And really, unless you're in outbreak, you probably are never going to touch asymptomatic. So it's really irrelevant because people that aren't feeling bad aren't going to run out and get a test. Mm -hmm. There's no. And so until there's an outbreak and you're testing every week, asymptomatic is kind of a nothing burden. I I think it is a a nothing burger. And I I do want to share that, you know, over the 2023, 2024 holiday season, you know, there there was an uptick. And I I just think that's the nature of COVID now. There's an uptick in flu, colds, and now COVID during holiday periods. And the initial response when you get those first few COVID cases and you try to start managing it either to avoid outbreak, right, the, the three and seven days, or to avoid getting to a major outbreak. Because once you get to that major outbreak where you've got the 20 cases and you're doing twice a week testing, right? Uh, You're just going to catch even more people. It becomes incredibly burdensome. And in that major outbreak, COVID testing is required. When in the regular, I call it plain vanilla outbreak, you're supposed to offer testing. You're supposed to make it available. So that is a distinction that depending on your workplace and the culture mm-hmm. and the buy-in from employees can create a bit of a rub. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And, and let's face it, if you were getting 20 or more, and for, you probably have some issue that you need to, right. to try to, to uh, stop the stem of that tide. Not, you know, that makes sense. What about when it comes to this, um, the record keeping, we get a lot of questions on record keeping, Karen. What, what are we, what are we doing with record keeping in 2024 as it, as it relates to COVID cases? So you're still required under the non-emergency, what Kevin calls the permanent, not so permanent, maybe permanent standards, depending <laughs> on what the standards board does. And under that standard, you're still supposed to track your COVID cases and do your contact tracing. In 2024, I think that that is still an item that if you have a COVID inspection, your records on that will be requested, just like your COVID plan, your IIPP. You know, it's on any document request, that's what you're going to see, right? And so making sure that whoever it is at your facility, in your office, at your business, if it's your HR person, your safety person, risk management, you still have to have your record keeping in place until the regulation ends, February 3rd, 2025, and making sure you're maintaining those records. I think it's important that we just stay focused on these requirements. No, good good point. And this real quick, we're on record keeping, 300 log recording. Only work-related, right? Right. right. And so I think that at the beginning of COVID, I think maybe there was something on the Cal OSHA website that said, record them all and we'll figure it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think There's another saying that goes something like that, but I won't right. repeat it here. <laughs> right. And 
your OSHA 300 log is only for work-related illnesses and injuries. So if the COVID is work-related and it meets the criteria for your OSHA 300 log, then you record it. But please don't just say, well, one time I read, let's record everything on the 300 log. Nope. Great point, Kev. And then to close out the group, reporting COVID. When do you have to report a COVID to anyone? Right. So in a major outbreak, you do have to call your nearest district manager, district office. and Cal report. district yes, office. Yes. Right? Yes. And then on the, the standard serious injury or fatality, if it was work-related, you'd have to call it in just like you would a, a finger amputation, uh, anything else. Hospitalization. Yeah. So basically with COVID, it's either hospitalization or, God forbid, a, a fatality. fatality. Yeah. Right. But we, we haven't, I haven't had haven't either had one of those for many of my clients. Yeah. In a couple of years. So we're still fighting about some, which, yeah. which we were going to talk about the top uh, COVID citations. And we still have some floating around from the beginning, Kevin. I know yeah. both in your office and mine. And really, I, I want to share with California employers hey, the top citations that we've seen around COVID are certainly reporting where, where Cal OSHA says, hey, you know, Mary Sue, you know, had COVID. She says it's work-related. She was hospitalized for a week. You should have reported it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And certainly, you know, that can sometimes be disputed because, and, and privacy is so tough in California. Sometimes you can't get the information. You don't know that Mary Sue was hospitalized. Right, right, right. Exactly. That's very frustrating. Yeah, that that is. And well, I got to talk about just generally the one that drives me the baddest that we actually <laughs> went to trial. We're still trying to get a decision back on it. But this was like in April of 2020, right, right. after the and like they said, well, how you didn't train everyone? What, you didn't put them all in the same room, right? With the, the, all these people, and then oh, you didn't document it correctly because they didn't have the name. And there, so things like that as the right. positions they were taking, and I won't go into any other details. But those, I guess, mm-hmm. my point being, a lot of them are paperwork. Paperwork related, yeah. right? Like, did you keep track of your COVID cases? Did you do the contact tracing? And also, you know, we're still litigating or fighting about a few citations over face mask or whether you had barriers up or whether you were enforcing the six foot rule or whether someone came to work with COVID. They didn't tell you they had COVID, yeah. right? But they came to work with it because they really just felt like, oh gosh, I don't want to let my team down. Yeah. So I'll just, you know, come to work and take a little Robitussin. So um, we're still um, fighting about those citations. Those were the top ones. We just like to share that. And Kevin, I, I do want to close out and make sure I ask you. So we've got this regulation ending February 3rd, 2025. We've had some, I would say, inconsistent messaging from, uh, I don't want to blame the standards board. Let's just just say Cal OSHA in general about what happens next. So tell us, are we going to have another regulation that's going to take effect February 3rd? Well, no, I don't think we're going to, because it would take a a rulemaking uh, process in order to change the current regulation, because current regulation has a specific end date. So it would take another rulemaking. The other thing is that there was a lot of discussion, and I think there's one in the, there works somewhere for an aerosol transmittable disease standard for general industry. Because remember, we have one for hospitals, right. for general industry. 
that had a lot of traction early on and push, but haven't heard anything. I think the focus has been on indoor heat illness, workplace violence, residential fall protection, uh, lead in the workplace, things like that that are rulemaking packages that are that have kind of taken precedent. Over and probably for good reason based on you know where we are now. So uh, the only th- exception to that is that for the first time in probably about a year at the podium, I did hear someone yesterday at the standards board mention the COVID and they were complaining about the order being less stringent now. Right. And that was from a, a labor uh, representative, but that was the only thing I'd heard in probably a year. So they'll have to tune into a future podcast is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Way on to leave them note, hanging. <laughs> yeah, on that note, stay tuned. Hey, thanks for listening to uh, Karen and I today. Uh, Look for our blog articles on Ogletree.com. We have recorded webinars related to Cal Ocean workplace safety available there. We have quite a few other workplace safety podcasts, uh, including a primer on Cal OSHA accidents and fatalities, Cal OSHA hearings, and much, much more. We also have a yearly California workplace safety conference every October in California and every December nationally. Um, So why don't you join us for one of those? That would be awesome. So take care and stay safe. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.